0: Biggest Bad Boys Podcast presents Matt Michaels, people I don't hate.
1: Hey everybody, it's Matt Michaels here, and today I'm joined by one of my acting heroes in life, Mr. Butch Patrick, who fans might know Butch as Eddie Munster from the Munster's television series. Butch, how are you doing today, man?
0: Oh, I'm doing
1: great. I thought we were going to be talking about Lidsville. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, man. I can't tell you how many times I've been stoned and I've watched episodes of Lidsville, and it's one of the greatest experiences that I can... <laughs> it just, I, I, I don't know if they were on something when they were writing it, but damn, that was a crazy show.
0: Yeah, Sid
1: was the creative
0: uh, guy behind the thing. Marty was the uh, producer, businessman, and then they had another brother, Harry Croft, that the signature came on the checks that was probably the ba- the backer. So there was uh, you heard <laughs> about the world of Sid and Marty Croft, but believe it or not, there was a Harry Croft.
1: Yeah, that's the first time I'm really hearing about Harry in all of my uh, research and studies on things. Um, and as I understand it, you weren't too hot on doing that show initially, right? no it was you know you got to understand i was going through a
0: period where i was supposed to uh, have done a movie that was going to be put me uh you know on the map as a movie star with you know uh academy award nomination all this great stuff and billboards on hollywood boulevard and what happened was the movie got shelved due to a hollywood divorce between hall bartlett and ron fleming so i was kind of a little disappointed in that and the combination of not doing that and then having a saturday morning show come across uh (laughs) Seemed like somewhat of a letdown, so I went back to high school and asked my friends about it. They—they're the ones that convinced me to do it. They said, "No, you never turn down work." And yeah. and then I went and met with them several times. And what happened was, like, I noticed the picture of uh, the Bugaloo's, and I thought <laughs> Caroline Ellis and the Bugaloo's were like really hot. Yeah. So I uh, I thought maybe if I did Lizville and hung around, I'd meet her.
1: <laughs> Isn't that how never it happened? Yeah, it's it's how it always goes the uh the, you want to meet girl yeah you want to meet the hot girl and of course it never goes through let me ask you though during that time of the early 70s um mm-hmm. you were really into uh just going out and surfing did you ever get to go down to the zephyr uh surf shop or run into any of like the uh, z boys or surf down uh around that area no um
0: my surfing situation i went to hawaii when i was about 14 and the uh, cab driver uh that was taking us back to the airport i was telling him how i learned to surf from one of those guys at the beach where you run a big surfboard and they paddle you out they shove you into a wave and i decided i wanted to be a surfer so i needed a surfboard and he turned out to be a very famous hawaiian surfer named rabbit he was like an old uh, an old classic surfer and he happened to be our cab driver so he took me over to Hobie and we got out on the way to the airport we got out and ordered a surfboard right there on the spot <laughs> seven foot a seven foot six uh round tail pin wow. beautiful board and it was a corky carol mini model which at seven foot six doesn't seem very mini but at the time when all the surfboards were you know nine and ten feet it was mini, a mini board and that's how i uh entered into the surfing world to answer your question no in the south bay i always rode a Mobley. Uh, I did have a uh, the first Bonzer that Bing put some some fins on back in about 72. Nice. Um, but that was, uh, yeah, I had a Hanson. I did have one board of Hanson from down in Solana Beach. But mostly I rode
1: Mobley's. Nice. Uh, did you ever see yourself uh, potentially, you know, doing something involved in maybe like the surf world or, you know, something that wasn't, Hollywood, but something that you would still have enjoyed doing, um, you know, at that time before you went on, obviously, to, you know, go on to your adult life where you were not really primarily in Hollywood.
0: Surfing was one of the
1: things about um,
0: growing up in the South Bay and, and working in Hollywood. I had a very big buffer between there was about a 20 mile, you know, a demilitarized zone, so to speak, between the beach and Hollywood. Right. And I uh, I pretty much separated my two lives big time and, and I really enjoyed surfing I never really got really great at it you know i was you know i could I could ride and I, and I enjoyed and I went out and you know, you know I was a surfer but I wasn't really any i wasn't going anywhere with it it was just sure. mostly for personal fun and friendship and this and that and I really enjoyed being in the ocean for the you know the, the state of mind and you know you gotta remember we we're all stoned back then and and everything <laughs> partying at the beach and, you know, it was a lifestyle. I mean, it really yeah. was. It was, it was, and I was really happy to be part of it. So I tell people I wouldn't have traded my, from the time I was 15 to 21 or 22 greatest seven years anybody could ever ask for.
1: Sure. Now, when you were as a child actor, um, you know, I, I started when I was about five years old acting and mm-hmm. one of the things that I was always curious about with anyone who does you know start out as a child actor did you find yourself more so doing instinctive reacting than actual um you know you know acting as we would know it when you start growing up but as a child I always found myself that I was always able to find myself in the situation and i just was just in that moment and you know i was able to just kind of play and be myself and relax and be the character as opposed to just you know some actors will get in their head some kids will never take yep. direction what was it like for that experience for you well you hit you pretty much hit the nail on the head and then the trick was
0: i was very lucky uh playing myself and, and my interpretation was was usually um right you know it worked it worked well for me i got to play myself but the trick is as you know is that when you when it's not what the director wants you have to have the ability to adjust to what they want right and i was good at that so i was uh you know i had a pretty good batting average i, I got most of the interviews i went on which was really unusual because unfortunately in hollywood a lot of a rejection is, mm-hmm. is is runs rampant yeah and i uh, i was very lucky i uh, i would you know I didn't go on a whole lot of interviews because I had other things to do but the ones I went on I seemed to have a pretty good batting average so I was happy about that and I also in you know in, a, in about what 15 years from 7 to 20 maybe 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 14 years i wound up with you know the you're the real mccoy's and the Munsters and then the lidsville and two years of my three sons and i slipped in 17 movies and a whole bunch of guest starring roles and a lot of commercials so i had a pretty good resume for a short period of time
1: yeah which is phenomenal it's so funny that sometimes you know, you'll look at career longevity and think that, well, if the person wasn't in it for 40 years, then maybe their career wasn't successful, but you accomplished so much so young. Now, with the Munsters itself, was it for you, um, could you see at that age how society was kind of starting to change a little bit? And was that evident in... The monsters being able to bring in like the Standells, um, also to you know have the uh, the almost kind of quiet commentary about you know the social changes that were going on between the freaks and the straights.
0: Not too much, honestly. I was because you got to remember, I was even though I was working amongst adults, I was still an 11 and 12 year old kid. Right. And I was bouncing back and forth. See, going to the studio was almost like a, was almost like a stability type of thing for me because at that particular time, in the fifth grade, I was living in Illinois with my grandmother because my mom had married a baseball player with the California, well, Los Angeles Angels back then, who got traded to the Washington Senators. So huh. they all moved back east. And on the trip, I stopped at my grandma's and was going to live with her for a year because my mom had just gotten married and she was pregnant with my brothers and my little sister was younger. So it just worked out well for me to go with my grandmother. And during my the stay in the fifth grade, the Munsters came about and I flew out to California for my screen test, got the part. Now I had no place to live and I had to move in with my uncle, hire a woman to take me to work. And for the next two years, it was kind of a hectic uh, lifestyle. And once a month, I would fly back to D.C. to see my mom. So um, I wasn't really focusing on much other than just work and school and and, and visiting my mom. Um, the, the, but the Munsters itself, during the during the, sh- the episodes, they had written some very – the show by this nature was about – Social commentary, whether they liked it or not, because it, you know we were the family that everybody was scared of living on the block <laughs> and judging a book by its cover. And uh, there's a there's a clip that that you know gets 100 million views about Herman talking to me at the dinner table about you know if you're taller, or fat, or short or ugly, and right, black or yellow, and you know it's the strength of your character and the size of your heart. So the 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 rules of uh, of, of being a good person and and uh, and social interaction and. And I guess the '60s type of social commentary was prevalent. Yes.
1: Um, who did your uh, mom end up uh, marrying? Uh, I didn't uh, come across the name of the ball player. Ken Hunt. His name was Kenny Hunt. No he way. came up to the
0: organization. Huh. He was Mickey Mantle's roommate. He's actually yeah. buried in Fargo next to Roger Maris. They were lifelong oh. friends. Uh, unfortunately, what happened to Kenny? He uh, had a dislocated shoulder in his second. Season, uh after having a killer, he had a very good rookie season, uh, 24 homers, 84 RBIs, hit with power, but he was a great defensive outfielder, center yeah. fielder, and yeah. he dislocated his throwing arm and never really recovered from it, so he had a five-year career as opposed to being a big star that he should have been.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, absolutely. I remember the name, but you know, I didn't realize that. That's awesome. And also, mm-hmm. um, I'm from Chicago. Where were you in Illinois when you were spending that time with your grandma?
0: Ninety miles uh west, in a little town called Geneseo, north of Moline.
1: Sure, sure. And was that, a, was that a different feel for you, um, you know, having the different areas? you got L.A., you've got Washington, and then you've got a very country-esque uh, town, uh, you know, in that yeah. area of Illinois. Did that kind of I, r- round you out in a, in a way?
0: Yeah, it really did. I, I, I really think that was one of the uh, – first of all, I was never an actor, you know, kid. People say, to, you know, do you want to become an actor? Well, you know, most kids at five years old, six years old, seven years old. I was seven, you were five. Uh, don't really choose to be an actor. At least I didn't. Right. And it was more of a happenstance situation. I stumbled into it. It was accidental. I just happened to be a kid who could re- memorize lines. That wasn't intimidated being around adults. You know, and yeah. and could be, de- could be dependable. I, I looked younger than I was, and I was mentally older than I was. And I and I, and that's what they like in the business. So, I never really wanted to be a career actor. It was more of a temporary job. And as soon as I got my driver's license at sixteen the priorities of me going to the beach versus going up to interviews was, you know, that's why I, I didn't work a lot. I mean, I might, I caught, I could have worked a lot more, but I found my, my personal life was a lot more fun
1: sure. <laughs> at the beach. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and I know, like I always thought if I went to college in LA instead of going in the middle of central Illinois, I would have never got anything accomplished. Cause that's all I would have done is gone to the beach every day. Uh, when you think about, the chance that you got a little later in life to, um, start, you know, becoming friends with Al Lewis and, Uh um, Yvonne and, uh, you know, how important was that to you now looking back to know that you were able as an adult to kind of put the bookends on knowing them more so as people than as coworkers? Well,
0: the key word is co-workers, and it's even though this, the difference is, is when you're a kid actor versus when I got a, knew him as a, an adult, is when you're a kid... You're there, and, and yeah, they're nice to you. And you're, but you're a kid, and you're and it's you're always going to be a kid, and they're always going to be the adult. That's how it is, and you know, it's it's kind of like a, a casting director. As you grow up, they'll still remember you as being a kid. and You're always going to be a kid in their eyes, no matter what happens. That's right. why it's so difficult for a lot of child actors to transition into uh, into adults. Where well, they got to get it through that late teens, early twenties, almost to the thirties before they become, you know, right. not a kid actor attachment. But the deal with the the uh, the friendships is once you go back and you meet these people 15, 20 years later, then you, uh, I mean, Al Lewis still treated me like, he's still talking to me, like, you know, you're nine years old, what are you doing? (laughs) But the the fact is, um, that was okay. But as an adult, I had a much more appreciation of what we did and what we had accomplished and their placement in life and being friends with them and, and how valuable the friendship was. As a kid, you know, you just really don't see it that way because
1: you're a kid. Right. And um, getting that chance to do that final uh, 95, the uh, the television movie, was that, a, in a sense, kind of a closure to what was going on, you know, from the beginning of the show to that final appearance where, of course, Fred had already passed away, but the remaining cast, you know, was able to get that Wonderful cameo in the in the TV movie was that something that was uh, just kind of bittersweet. It was
0: surreal. It really was, especially with you know the the fact that Herman Munster was being played by Edward, Edward Herman. Herman. Yeah, and he did a, and him doing a really good job, probably the best job, uh, and up to that point that I had ever seen. Uh, uh, Brad Garrett does a really good Herman, and <laughs> you know, but 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 Edward Herman did a did a fine job on that, and it was a fun it was a fun uh, it was a fun day. To be up there with them and see everybody and it was it was kind of surreal to get back to to have all four of us sitting at a table and especially with me as uh, an adult with them
1: you know I am going to uh, email Brad is a friend of mine Uh, I had done some uh, acting classes uh, under his guidance and uh, I'm gonna pass that along that uh, you know you believe he's his impersonation is a good one because it is one of the best out there let me ask you uh when it comes to looking at um the time you grew up and you know you played a little bit of music um for you what would you say the uh the top uh, groups uh would be that you still gravitate uh to today from that era
0: Well I'm pretty much I'm you know pretty pretty much stuck in classic rock and um the, you know um Alice Cooper uh, back in the day I saw Zeppelin the most of any band <laughs> um but it, back when I was a kid um I find myself now on the road a lot I've listened to a lot of uh, Van Morrison and a lot of uh, the Doors and, and so, I mean I it, they, my first four albums were like Van Morrison excuse me it was Blind Faith Jimi Hendrix uh Janis Joplin and the Doors and then that was the kind of 10 years after Creedence Clearwater Yeah you know, the, the best of those old bands, ten years after Steppenwolf, it was. It, I tell people a lot of times the uh, growing up and starting to work in 1960 to '74. It was like the best window for music and uh, and uh, TV and movies. You know, it was just it was yeah. just a great time for entertainment in general.
1: No, you know what, that's 100% of what I grew up, it's it's almost like I felt like I grew up in the 60s because that was my full exposure, and especially uh, the Monkees still today are one of my favorites, you know, I've, I've met, I think everyone, I've, I met everyone bef- uh, except for Davey, seen them in concert, um, they're so wonderfully talented and very, very polite uh, with the fans, for you getting a chance to be on that show, especially in an iconic episode, was yeah. that was that just heaven? You know, just to be interacting with them as much as you were able to on set. I'll give me I'll tell you how how cool it was for me.
0: I I never told anybody at school what I was doing. It was totally never shared. Never wanted to share. Just I just went about my business. When I got the part of the monkeys, I was in eighth in the eighth grade. And I went up and told everybody what what was up, what I was doing. You know, I mean, I was really, really, really stoked and jazzed about the whole thing. And the the amazing thing is, when you touched on seeing the monkeys, you remember how the whole to do with this rock and roll Hall of Fame that they they, yeah. they weren't musicians. You know, they yep. weren't a real band. You know, anybody. I mean, Mickey and Michael and Peter and Davy, they were extremely gifted musicians. Yep. And super talented and i mean especially i think mickey dolan's is underrated uh, hugely underrated i know i mean mm-hmm. mike nesbitt is great don't get me wrong i love mike and i like what he did you know with with uh, i think it was uh, elephant parts or uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> twice, with the video yeah. ranch and stuff but mickey yep. mickey yep. is be, being and you look back on what he does and the singing and the and then and the, he's multi-talented he can play guitar he can play drum i mean he's a super talented guy and yeah. for them to say the monkeys aren't a real band is is bs
1: Oh, it's total. It is. And, you know, what's what's amazing to me, too, about Mickey is, um, you know, I'd bump into him uh, different things in Hollywood all the time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he'd go see like improv shows and, you know, he was really still active, but he was directing all this stuff in the 90s. Yep. And it's just like it's mind blowing to think that you can look at a guy who started. His career, as well as a child actor, yeah, yeah, circus boy, sure. yeah, and then just to to branch out and you know show how talented he was, and well,
0: bur- you know, and another thing is you got to remember Laurel Canyon. My I had <laughs> night, summer of '69, I had a girlfriend that lived at the top of Laurel Canyon on Woodrow Wilson. I turned sixteen in <laughs> August second. They landed on the moon two weeks before. Uh, Charles Manson's running around, going crazy, killing people. <laughs> it's scary to be up in the canyon um, i got my first car uh i'm actually driving up and down the laurel canyon and Mickey dolans is up there with the go to party house yeah. you know and he's got every major rock and roll guy that was with the with the laurel canyon sound hanging at his house and he's part of the original hollywood vampires you know he's with yeah. harry Nilsson and john lennon pictures with him running i mean he was like with everybody
1: yeah. <laughs> what a life yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's amazing to see when he pops up and like you could watch a Nielsen documentary and there he is, Harry mm. Nielsen, boom. And you know, he's in this documentary and he got to be at, you know, the club when uh when John got kicked out for heckling the Smothers brothers. I mean, just what a fascinating mm. life. Everywhere he
0: was, he was, he was, he was right in the mix of of, of history a lot.
1: Yeah, um, you know when you mentioned uh, Alice Cooper, who's another guy from that scene as well. Uh, you know, in in your being on the monsters, and someone like Alice is kind of in that same light where you're essentially mm-hmm. playing a character that's macabre. How much obviously you're able to do uh, some wonderful, you know, signings, autograph signings. Um, You were here at Tom Devlin, uh, his Monster Museum here in uh, Mm -hmm. Boulder City in in the Vegas area. Has that been something for you that has been kind of a blessing that there is such a market for the appreciation of the classic monster feel from Universal?
0: The Monsters is... um... It's like a perfect storm situation. Uh, a lot of things had to come together. On paper, you know, not so much. It looked kind of crazy and you know far fetched. But when you when you took the the best of the Leave It to Beaver production you know the first real tv show that featured kids as right. you know the kid point of view of the whole scripts and then you took that with them getting the universal monsters and and fred and al from new york with a comedy theme coming in and yvonne carlo of a of a major star coming into a, do a uh a matriarch of this of this crazy household and the idea of having the beautiful blonde that everybody thought was unfortunate and homely and you know had, it wasn't wasn't you know attractive? This this whole thing came together, and I was just lucky enough to be a kid that, that dropped into it and uh, and did my own did my own thing. And, and because Fred was uh, such a great guy, and he and they started seeing these father and son episodes come together, and they started writing these great you know um, these shows featuring uh, me being the the student, him being the student, and me being the teacher, right. and doing a, like a full reversal where Eddie was smart and Herman was a big big lovable childlike character. <laughs> It just worked and and it worked briefly for a couple of years, the seventy episodes, but after after it was gone, syndication came into play and and it became one of the more popular shows to get to get syndicated for many reasons. Whether you like the cars or whether you like the 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 horror sci fi angle of the Universal Monsters or whether you like the way it was done with Twilight Zone lighting and and camera angles and the way you know, there was just a lot of things going for it that kept it kept it alive and then when the conventions came along I mean, I've done conventions in Europe, tattoo conventions, because there's so many so many people yeah. have Munster Inc. and Universal Monster Inc. Uh, I've done m- numerous car things. I've done collectible things. I've done uh, classic uh, pop culture. It falls into seven or eight different categories. So you talk about a show that has lots of um, fingers in the pie. Yeah. The Munster does. Uh,
1: you know, speaking of having the fingers in the pie and the Munster being so, the Munsters being so popular it looks like Rob zombie is tackling the monsters either (laughs) on television, you know, in a TV setting or in a movie setting. It's not clear to me yet. Uh, exactly what's going on. Have you seen anything that Rob's done? And do you know, anything uh, have you heard about the project?
0: Yes, I've heard about it. And I, you know, me and Rob did the narration and the commentary for the monster Blu-ray back in December of 19 for, um, scream factory. Uh, the movie actually, you know, because of the COVID and everything and shut down and everything got kind of put on hold for a year, or a year and a half. So, um, he, um, I did a, a pitch. I, I put together a, 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 publicity little pitch thing for me going out and doing movies and movies and magic with the illusion of illusionist David Merlin. We wanted to go help theater owners open back up showing Munster go home and then showing a magic show. Well, <laughs> I kind of cut the thing together and i i utilized rob's face and me talking about doing commentary without his permission i thought to myself like oh my god I, I should have asked him and i reached out to him and he said no it's fine go ahead and then right after that i got inundated with people about the munster movie with rob <laughs> and i reached out to him again and he told me he says um he hates when that you know things get leaked like that because it's not a done deal right um he has been speaking with him, but he told me and his exact words were, you know, until he's on a soundstage with the camera and he's filming, you know, and when that happens, I'll be the first to know. So awesome. that's where it's at.
1: That's awesome. Um, you know, speaking of Rob, um, I was a universal studios tour guide for uh, a couple of years, including the time that Rob was filming, uh, his first film, the house of thousand corpses on the back lot. So, you know, I've been a fan of his for a long time and I love what he's doing, in the genre of keeping the spirit alive of you know the classic monster, uh, you know movies through his music and of obviously doing film right. work. How was it for you? I know that I've I've seen and read stories and heard stories about your experiences being that you guys were fresh and new when that studio tour started, and I know what my life was like doing the tour at six a day pace where you guys were lucky enough to only have a tour coming through about every hour or so was that annoying or neat to actually get to you know see some fans uh, you know getting to see the sets
0: uh it it was it was interesting because mike westmore who was my first he was my makeup man when he was still an apprentice and that was um,
1: and that was bud westmore's son right Nephew, nephew, okay,
0: yeah, and he would go up and there, kind of. Like, I'll give you a. He would do me in the morning. Then he would also do the at the top of the hill for the trams before City Walk was there. They had a little. You know like a bathroom break and they had a little pepsi stand and mike would be up there and he would do a makeup demonstration for people and there was nothing at the top of the hill it was just you know that was just a view you could look down at the studio yeah but um we didn't have a problem with the tour because the tour didn't come on our sound stage the only time the tour got got in our um not in our way but became part of our day was when we were in the back lot uh, shooting at the house Gotcha. And. And that was weird because they would the 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 tram actually had priority, so we would have to stop filming to let the tram come through, as opposed to them stopping the tram and letting us film. It was right. weird, but it didn't happen very often. And yes, we did enjoy it, and the people seemed to love it. And uh, and at the time, that tram during some very lean years for studios made Universal a whole lot of money.
1: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, when I think about one story that I saw you talk about before is exploring that phantom of the opera stage. And, Oh my God. When I, when I read that you had that, it's so funny because early two thousands, I, I was doing the same thing, (laughs) you know, it's like, Oh, it was so much fun to, to see that old grand set and just, you know, the bigness of the stage. Uh, Were there any other um, areas on the lot that you, you know, would hang out in or was it just kind of, you know, the typical you film and then you were also going to class uh, part of the day as well?
0: Well, it was when I did have free time and it wasn't often, but it was, you know, often enough. Um, yeah, the the, the, the Phantom stage wasn't very far away. So that was easy. But when I had some uh, actual downtime and I could, you know, grab a golf cart or a bicycle or something or just go for a walk, I used to enjoy going down to the uh, lagoon where Mikhail's yeah. Navy was shooting. Yeah. Uh, Gary Vincent was a good friend of mine and he was always very nice. And, and, then, and then I got to know, uh, you know, Ernie and, and Tim yeah. um, as well. But my uncle who was a wrangler who supplied horses to um we had laredo and we had wagon train and then we had uh, the virginian yeah. as west going on out there so it would be nice to go see uncle john or uh, and then also um the uh the uh, the guy from laredo um oh god i'm trying to think of his name i, I can't think of them at the moment but um he, uh, I always enjoyed. They were always very nice to me, you know, because I'm like the token kid on this, on this, on the, on this, on the uh, lot. There right. weren't a lot of other kids, you know, around. So it was just kind of like me, and, and it was, in case I, unless I had some guest stars on my show, I was usually the only kid around. So it was, it was just fun to go visit people. But everybody was nice, and uh, yeah, it was a big lot, and I got a chance to see most of it.
1: Were you, uh, were you thinking of uh, either uh, William Smith or William? Smith, Yeah, yeah William Smith. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's spectacular because in some ways what I, what I love about that universal lot is that no matter if it was you in the 60s, people, you know, on the lot in the, you know, the 40s, us in the lot, you know, in the year 2000, there's that shared almost, you know, generational camaraderie when you work on a lot that is, um, you know, just so... Friendly, Like everyone that I ever encountered at the Universal lots were always the nicest people. Um, was that generally your experience when you were working on the different sets in the different studios that, you know, everyone treated everyone at that time fairly, you know, decently because we're all trying to make something happen? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, you know, I did, Lidsville was out of Paramount and, you know, it was next door to New Heart and we had the Brady's out there as well. Yeah. And it was a fun, it was a fun studio to go, you know, go up to see the Croft's office and this and that. Um, Disney, I'd spent a, year, a couple of years at Disney, um, uh, not regularly, but I spent one whole summer out there doing a back-to-back two-part World of Colors, and then I did a, a feature for them. Uh, Disney was a fun lot, you know, very yeah. kid-friendly, as you might expect. Um, extremely clean, just yeah. like Disneyland, you know, it was amazing. Um, but um, Desilu, it was nice. Columbia was good. Uh, I don't think really, I really – nothing jumps out as a bad one. You yeah. Know, let's put that. MGM, I spent a couple of years at MGM doing the Phantom Toll Booth off and on. So, right, I like MGM because it was close. It, you know, it was the closest one of all of them to Gardena.
1: You know, speaking of that, I got to ask this question: Did you ever run into Elvis on that lot?
0: No, never did. Damn, I, I,
1: I ran into Elvis. And, well, I didn't run into him. I
0: saw him. I didn't really run into him at George Barris's shop.
1: Oh, wow oh he wow. was he was
0: there picking up a cadillac and i used to go on wednesdays and i kind of as i was coming in he was going out but um sunny and chair were there george's lot george's uh shop was an unbelievable place to go hang out because everybody in hollywood had a car done by him and yeah and and he's just always had some you know he always treated me so nicely and it allowed me to be a little boy and allowed me to go poke my nose around and see the <laughs> the coolest cars and, you know, on the planet being designed and, uh, and done you know, right there, but, you know, before my eyes.
1: Yeah. And I, I lived very close to the shop there in Burbank and, um, yeah. I, it just was, uh, heartbreaking when I, you know, got the news that he passed away and, you know, I, I'd met him once or twice and had a couple friends who were closer to, um, and just what an influence and what a legend. And of course the monster car was his, you know, concept, uh, do you, I, I'm understanding you had or still have uh, one or two Munster mobiles, is that correct?
0: I do. I have a, a Munster coach and a Dragula. I had, well, these were not George's, you know, buildings. Right. These were a gentleman in Virginia built them that I bought from him. And I asked George before I bought him, I said, do you have a problem with this? And he says, absolutely not. He goes, congratulations. They have great, you know, they're, he goes, the highest form of flattery is, you know, imitation. So, He says, as long as, um, you don't, you know, basically campaign them as a bearish vehicle, you know, more power to you. And I said, George, I would never do that. Of course. And, uh, no, he says, Butch. He goes, you're the last monster out there. You know, meaning Pat priest was in Idaho, but I'm the last one out on the road. Right. So he took it that I was doing a great service to not only the memory of the show, which was, you know, his cars, but also the fact that I was out uh, doing um, some good work. He was really proud when I got sober and, uh, was very supportive of my sobriety and, uh, and, uh, and everything was great. We were like best of friends, but we really were good friends the last five years of his life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really nice to hear. Cause again, what, what a sweet, sweet guy he was. Um, finally, Butch, as we wrap up here, I don't want to keep you too long. Let me ask you, when you think about not the Munsters legacy, because you know, that's already cemented, but yeah your own legacy in this you know crazy life that you've led you know what does it come down to you for you that you look at and go you know what when it's all said and done this is what i want people to remember about me at the end of the day
0: well um it's funny you should ask that because i pretty much had a revelation earlier today about what are, i've been meaning to I have a YouTube channel called Coach to Coast, uh spelled with a K K O A C H to K O A S T and basically a friend of mine who's got a very successful YouTube channel who is a filmmaker and we were talking about doing projects a few years ago together and he says, you know, as long as you're on the road doing all this stuff and you really enjoy doing your I like Charles Caralt a lot. And sure. I used to watch Charles Caral's on the road. Yeah. And I'm trying to uh I'm actually I'm not trying, I'm going to and I'm doing a show very similar to his in nature, which is the small town heroes all over the country. Yeah. And at my last appearance, I was going to get my Munster coach as a tow vehicle to a motor coach. And I was going to go into um, campgrounds and interview all the people in their motorhomes about what stories and backstories they've had in their life and what brought them to this point of being in the RV business. And it's kind of funny that no bad land, um, you know, winds up winning best picture Yeah. and, I'm kind of doing the same thing, but what I came up with today was I met two veterans at this last appearance I was at, and and it was like I was in the last year of the Vietnam lottery. I had a very low number. I went into my induction uh, medical um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, examination, yeah, and they found out that I had a bad knee from a skiing accident. So I was basically I was supposed to go to Vietnam, but because of an injury that I wasn't really aware of. I was 1H, and I was not fit for duty. But these Vietnam vets, I'm always thanking them for their service, and, and this guy had five master's degrees. And, and between these people loving the Munsters and me growing up with the families and grandparents and great-grandparents, all these people over the years being in their household and being part of their their, their childhood and their adolescence in a good right. way and bringing fond memories, I've decided that I'm going to make this coach-to-coast thing gear driven for a patriot channel for veterans and, nice. Ameri- and americana i mean it was already going to be americana but i think i'm going to make it a uh, a very strong charitable situation where we're gonna we're gonna send a bunch of money to uh, to some uh to veteran various veterans situations because every time you know i see the commercials and i mean there's there's so much that they didn't get and, and since i didn't go you know, right. and I and I got lucky, and and it, it was just by the grace of God that I didn't wind up going to Vietnam and getting killed or getting maimed. I think this whole thing which should be veteran driven. Uh, it's a uh, it's a it's a good cause. They're good people. They, they're baby boomers like myself, yeah. and I that's uh, I think that's I'm hoping to start it on July 4th in Philadelphia at Independence Hall and go cross country. So that's what I've decided to do with my Coach to coast channels. Make it more of a veteran driven. Um, format in a, in a, in a platform.
1: And that's a spectacular idea because one of the things that worries me, um, you know, as we see the greatest generation, uh, yeah. dying off now, now my dad's generation, your generation, the Vietnam era is, uh, you know, becoming that, you know, to, to what was to my generation, you know, that long ago. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm very worried that um, that the future generations just will not understand what was going on. And they um, you know. And, and it's, it's sad.
0: And, I'm, you know, I don't want to get into, you know, the, I, I can. This is this is something I can do without having to get political. Yeah. What about my business doing what I do? And, you know, my I can, you know, and it's not this and it's not that and I'm not, not going right. to get into tit for tat I'm just going to go about my business and do what I like to do which is travel meet people tell great stories and the yep. beauty of it's gonna, is the first time I meet all these people and interview them number one you have to get subscribers to make a successful YouTube channel which I know I will get yep. because of the nature of what I'm doing and then the next the second year is I go back and visit them all in their hometowns and then I do the Charles Kuralt visits that I'm looking yeah. forward to, do, which is what is this town famous for and all that good stuff. And go the local VFWs and all the things and all, the, all that will take place. And it's something I can control my own destiny, which is really a good feeling because in Hollywood, it's tough to, you know, control anything. And right. this is something that technology has allowed me to be able to do this and hopefully be able to finance the trips, make a few yeah. bucks, give away some money to charity and then. The third year, go international with it, and go see all the things that I want to see.
1: Yeah, oh, that's that's brilliant. I think that sounds fantastic, and I thank you. Yeah, no, I can't. That makes me excited. It's that's awesome. Uh, Finally, Butch, can you uh, let uh, listeners know uh, what uh, social media uh, or websites they can find you at?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm not really a big. I have an Instagram, the real Butch Patrick, and I have a Twitter, you know, BP Munster. Uh, but basically, I, I, most of my stuff is up to, is through Facebook, and um, it's a Butch Patrick and Butch Patrick too. But just go to Munsters.com for anything else as far as scheduling or the Munster store, or that is the easiest thing to do, and it's easy to remember. And um, if you can get the Munsters.com, you'll you'll figure out how to find me.
1: Perfect. Um, again, thank you very much for taking your time. Um, you didn't have to do this, and I really do appreciate it. Um, again, it's it's great to you know talk to you um, from the perspective of someone who looked up to you as a kid actor myself, and um, you know just well. You while, know, one of the
0: things, one of the things in closing, i just mm, before sure. I go. It, it's you know it's I when you get sober, you know one of the first things you got to do is you got to get a good attitude and get into gratitude. Yeah. And literally, one of the things about being sober is there's so many cool people that are like Alice Cooper. Give me an example. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) There are people in Hollywood that I looked up to that when I got sober, it it, it made it so it's like a cool club to be part of. It really is. And the number two is when, when I'm out and about and you said, you know, well, what I like to have as a legacy is how many how many people can say by sitting at a table and, and, and smiling at someone, they come up to meet you and they tell you these wonderful, fabulous stories about how much you meant to them growing up and what a part of their household, you know, that's, that's magic. You know, how many yeah. people can get, get away with just by just smiling and interacting with someone for a few moments of their of your day, send somebody away with a great memory and, and knowing that you actually made someone's life better. That's pretty that's pretty good stuff these days because there's not there's not a lot of happiness going on right now.
1: No, and especially from the fact that what you were doing at that time, you were just doing what you were doing. You were having fun. You were a kid, you were doing a job and it's you know oh. and now all these years later to know that you had such an impact on so many people throughout the years is just a wonderful thing and um, you know and you are uh, you know the, the legacy uh, not only of you know the, the show but you know, well, you know,
0: it was funny the other day. I hadn't seen my car for a year, right? And when I take my car around the country, I keep it in an enclosed trailer. So, you know, I I, I drive it all the time. And as you know, you know, you get whatever. Let's just say you went out and bought a new Ferrari or whatever. Sure. And after a year of driving that Ferrari, you know, to you it gets old it just does i mean this is the human nature of people you see it all the time it's nothing you know it's special but it's not that special mike when my Munster coach came up to uh i had to trade it up to me in an open trailer I couldn't believe how many people you know got out of their cars stopped and i and i started seeing people how excited they were to see the car which re ignited and re-energized my thoughts about how good this whole thing's going to be because anybody that's ever seen a a motor coach going cross country you know you always kind of look what the tow vehicle is some people have jeeps some people have these little crappy cars you know some people put a harley sideways but can you imagine pulling into an rv park with a monster coach behind an rv (laughs) it's going to be so cool
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely and of course remember butch if you pull up on a ground and you see a totem pole don't engage with the uh the natives because uh they might think <laughs> that you're the uh the chosen one <laughs> yeah that's right. right awesome uh, and thank you again for joining us and everyone listening thank you very much and we'll see you guys right, next man. time Biggest bad boys of podcasting.